He is great. Let's give him a prayer a praise right now. Let's pray together. And just before the message, let's pray once again. Our Father, we do thank you for this time that we have together to be able to meet in the name of Jesus Christ and to worship you and to hear from your word and to pray for one another and to pray for those who need our help right now, those who are f- ill, those who are having going through trials of one kind or another. We lift them all up to you. And we ask you to be with us during this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the Bible teaches us that everybody has trials. The Bible says that all mankind has trouble all of their lifetime. God put it this way when he spoke through the mouth of Job. Job said, man who is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. So if you're not having trouble right now, just wait a while. Every person everywhere in this world goes through many periods of trouble in a lifetime. Believers in Jesus Christ are not free from these trials. What a rude awakening to learn this after I became a Christian a long time ago. I was born again in 1957, and I had a mistaken idea that it would be uninterrupted peace and happiness until I woke up one day in heaven. (laughs) I had absolutely no concept of what lay ahead of me my future. It's been 52 years, and I can say exactly what the psalmist said about 3,000 years ago. He said, I have been young, and now I am old, but I have not yet seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. So guess who's with you in all of your trials? The Lord himself. I want to ask you, before we get into the text this morning, I'd like to ask you a few questions. What should our attitude be when trials come? What are our resources to endure a trial like a Christian? Do we have examples of model behavior to follow in the Word of God? Can we profit from our trials? Our text today is James chapter 1, so please turn there. James is the book right after the book of Hebrews. So where is Hebrews? It's in there somewhere. (laughs) James chapter 1. First of all, we want to look at the greeting. Verse 1 is the greeting from James. He says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. I'm sure most of you know that the, the nation Israel is divided up into 12 tribes. And James is talking to the Israelites who had believed that Jesus was the Son of God, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, to the, believing, to the believers amongst the Jews that are scattered abroad. Greetings. I think I mixed up my notes. (laughs) He says that he is a bondservant. Notice the word bondservant. He said he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. A bondservant is a slave 
somebody who's in a permanent relation of servitude to his master. A bondservant's will is altogether consumed by the will of his master. In this case, James is a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, James says he has given his will completely to God, the Father, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. I would say to my brothers and sisters who are confessing Christians this morning, have you given your will to the Lord Jesus? Have you become a willing bondservant of his, no matter where that may lead you? Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said it this way, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You know, Jesus used the same word. It's translated not bondservant in Matthew chapter 20. It's translated slave, but it's the same word. It's the Greek word doulos. He says in Matthew 20, whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So he says to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So the twelve tribes were scattered amongst many nations all the way to Rome, in Asia, in parts of Europe. And they actually had been scattered there by the Lord. They were persecuted and driven out of Israel and scattered to other countries. The word there is actually, where it says scattered, it actually means to be sown abroad, to be sowed just like a farmer sows seed. And yet who sowed them abroad was God himself. It would seem like it's the Romans or someone else who drove them out of the land in which they live, but it was really God sowing them abroad. Now why would he sow these Jewish believers to other countries, to countries like Thessalonica, to countries like Rome, to countries like Greece, and to other countries like that, to Mesopotamia. Why would he do that? Because didn't he say before he left this world, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. So while many of these Jewish believers may have thought that they were simply being persecuted, they were actually being sent abroad by the Spirit of God himself. Now, in verses 2 through 8, we're going to see one grand subject. By the way, those are the only verses we're going to look at this morning, verses 1 through 8. And in verses 2 through 8, we're going to see one subject, and that subject is how we are to profit from our trials. You know, God just does not haphazardly let a trial come your way. He wants to teach you something. He wants to do something in your life that maybe could not happen any other way. Think about it this way. God allows trials to come our way so that we can profit from them. When we are weak, our tendency is to question God during a trial. When we are tempted to blame God or accuse him of not caring, we need to remember the words of Jesus. In Matthew 10, Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Have you considered just how much value you are to God himself? David Johnston, our pastor, says that 
a person's worth is noted by what, he, what someone is willing to pay for that person. What did God pay for you? He paid his son. So you are worth very much. Hasn't he told us in many places and shown us with many events that we are loved by him with an everlasting love? He has always loved us. Think about that. He has loved us in eternity past. He loves us now. And he will always love us. As a matter of fact, we are not just the temporary objects of his love and grace. We are the eternal objects of his love and grace. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says, In the ages to come, God will keep on showing us the exceeding riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. So as the ages of eternity roll, long after you've been in heaven, God has a lot of grace, and he has actually an unfathomable amount of grace to pour upon you, which he plans to do as the ages roll. It will not be boring in heaven. God will keep on showing us the riches of his grace as eternity rolls. You know, it should be, knowing how much God loves us, it should really be very believable that he allows no trial to come our way that he has not considered it first. He's thought about it first. Since this is true, we are admonished by the Holy Spirit in this passage that we study this morning to adopt certain attitudes about trials. The first attitude God wants us to have is joy. That seems so contradictory if you think like the world, doesn't it? But God says, I'm sending this trial into your life, and it's going to produce joy. He says in verse 2, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Do you do that? Here comes a trial. I'm so happy. Thank (laughs) God for this trial. Now, think about this. We realize that when James wrote these words, as the Spirit moved on his heart to write these words, count it all joy, He knew he was writing to Jewish believers who had been scattered to many countries and were suffering all sorts of persecution and deprivation. He knew that. And he still says to those brethren, I'm sure he can think about them in his mind's eye as he says these words, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, Paul was one of those Jewish believers And, of course, he was an apostle sent out by the Lord. But listen to the words of Paul, how he endures persecution with joy. He says in Acts chapter 20, And see, now I go, bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then to the Corinthians years later, he wrote these words. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, 
in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and in cold and nakedness. In other words, Paul, in spite of all of this, had joy from the knowledge that this trial that he was experiencing was actually God working in his life. And I say this to you, my brothers and sisters, he's also working in us to produce a settled faith and patience that the world can't understand. It's not a joy that we manufacture ourselves. It's a joy that the Holy Spirit puts down in our hearts. If we will obey God, he will do his part. I want to tell you about a tough trial that a missionary couple went through years ago in the African country of Kenya. Some of you know your history and you know that there was an uprising in the country of Kenya between 1952 and 1960 by Kenyan peasants who were sick and tired of British colonial rule. The uprising failed militarily, but it hastened the Kenyan independence and motivated Africans in other countries to fight against colonial rule. During the uprising, many innocent people were maimed and killed by marauding groups of African militants. Those who didn't possess firearms hacked their victims to death with machetes. Many atrocities were committed by these marauding groups and also by British military and police. One missionary couple witnessed the slaughtering of their three children. They were wounded lying on their front porch, unable to stand up, and they could see the dead bodies of their beloved children lying on the lawn in, in the compound where the missionaries lived. At first, they were overcome with tremendous grief and sorrow. And this is according to their own testimony. All of a sudden, they were filled with an amazing, unexplainable joy. The Holy Spirit reached down in their hearts and gave them a peace that they could not understand or even explain. In the Spirit, they actually saw their children rising to heaven. As the Bible says, it was a joy unspeakable and full of glory. You know, Peter said those words. He said in 1 Peter 1, verse 8, Whom having not seen, you love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So we're to have joy in trials. And God says he will help us to have that joy. And then secondly, we are to have patience. Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your patience produces, the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's think about patience for a moment. Patience in the scriptures that God is talking about refers to that quality of character which does not allow me to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. These verses tell us that we should have a vastly different attitude about trials than the average person in this world. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said, Now the seed that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and the pleasures of life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word of God, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Verse 4. 
And then to the Corinthians, in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians, he said, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. You know, Paul didn't only learn this lesson, but it seems that the people of the church in Thessalonica learned the same thing, and they had this patience. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul wrote to them and said, Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. And then to the Romans he said in chapter 15, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. Think about it. When we exercise patience, we are exhibiting one of the characteristics of God himself. Let's think about the patience of God. God right now is exercising patience with millions of people in this world who hate him. He sees everything that everyone does. He knows every thought, every good deed, every evil deed, every minute of every day. He is patient with all of us every minute of every day, with all of our failings. He knows every bad thing that we have done and every bad thing that we will ever do. And still, his love for us and his patience with us is not diminished. What a God we serve. He continues to be patient with us. During trials, we need to have the patience to wait for God to complete the lesson he wants us to learn. With God's help, we can exercise patience until his work is completed. Let me ask you a question. Many of you here know Pastor David. Would you say that our senior pastor is going through a trial? Let me give you a quick update. You know, many of you know he's been up to San Francisco to the hospital up there. We're really thankful that he's there. That hospital has 900 doctors, many specialists, and it's as clean as it can be. I've never seen, been in a hospital quite like it. But yet, David is suffering. They went, he had a surgery last week, or yes, last week, but they weren't able to get all the infection that was in his body. They thought they could. And the doctor who I have a lot of confidence in, and so does David, and other doctors seem to have a lot of confidence in this man. His name is Leonard Way. You might want to pray for him. He said, well, we thought we were going to be able to get it all with the incision that we made, but we didn't. So what we're hoping is that we're going to send you home, and what we're hoping is that you're just going to get well. You're going to get well if you will rest and take your medication. And if you don't get well, 
we're going to have to have you ba back, and then we're going to have to go do major surgery. We're going to have to take about a nine-inch incision and really go in there and clean that out. But we're all praying, of course, that against that. We're praying for God to take care of him as he's at home resting, taking medication. I spoke to him Friday, and he said, Dad, just remember this. This is just a light affliction. All that he's gone through since July 24th, he said it's just a light affliction. Now, I, we both knew the verse he was talking about. You know what verse it is? It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And then we're to ask for wisdom during a trial. In verse 5 it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to us all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Just think about it for a moment. You know, the world needs wisdom. You need wisdom. I need wisdom. We're going through a pretty troubled time right now in the history of our country. How our leaders need wisdom. How you need wisdom. How I need wisdom. And just think, the Holy Spirit says here in verse 5 that God gives wisdom liberally to those who ask him. And I'm thinking of that verse where it says that we have not because we ask not. We need to ask for wisdom when we go through trials. And then in verse 6 it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Our Heavenly Father wants to approach him, wants us to approach him with faith. If you think about it, who else in this universe is deserving of our faith but God himself? But I ask you this, is God saying here that he is dissatisfied and upset if a Christian should ever have a doubt? I don't think so. Please turn with me to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whatever, wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked, he asked his father, Jesus asked his father, in other words, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. 
But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Do you remember the message two weeks ago that Pastor Bill Holdridge brought on Ephesians 6, the armor of God? Do you remember in chapter 6, verse 16, it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, by which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And he said to us that the fiery darts are evil thoughts and doubt that come into your mind from our, the enemy of our souls, from the devil. He loves to send those fiery darts, to throw those fiery darts at us. So when a thought of doubt comes into your mind, guess where it comes from? How do you defeat that fiery dart, that doubt? By the shield of faith. Taking the shield of faith that you may quench the fiery darts of the wicked. Well, how do I increase my faith? And now I'm going to ask you to repeat the motto of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we, our faith increases as we read God's word. Now let's go back to the disciples' question in Mark 9:28. Why could we not cast this demon out? So Jesus said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. If I am to be a faith-filled Christian, quenching the fiery darts of the devil, I must be diligent about Bible reading and prayer. If I'm going to go through a particularly tough trial, I must increase my efforts, including fasting if necessary. I wouldn't expect to pass a tough chemistry exam in college without diligent study. If I'm a soldier fighting battles for my country, I wouldn't expect to do well if I didn't work hard at training and conditioning. And brothers and sisters, if you haven't learned this yet, you will learn it. We are at war. The Bible says that there's a spiritual war going on, that we are in a spiritual battlefield. If I expect to be a good soldier of the cross, I must work diligently at Bible study and prayer and fasting when necessary. I want to give you two prayer requests, if I may. I'd like to put up slide number one, if you would, please. What I want to show you is two different countries and the fact that in these particular countries, Christians are suffering untold persecution for their faith. The first one is in northern China. And you see a picture of a Chinese man there. His name is Mamat. And actually, that's not really his name. 
I got this from a missionary letter, and they said his name is actually, I'm calling him Mamat, but we're hiding his name because for safety purposes. The missionary said that Mamat was from a Muslim family in northern China, and as a teenager, he was very eager to defend Islam. He said he and his brothers would often hit his sister if her skirts were too short or if she went out with boys without supervision. When he was 17 years old, a friend gave him a political tape to listen to. The tape urged the Uyghurs, he's of the Uyghur tribe, to raise up against the government and declare an independent homeland. This is in the very north of China. Mamat did not agree with the opinions expressed, but he listened to the tape out of loyalty to his friend. Just a few days later, officers from China's Public Security Bureau arrested Mamat. At the police station, he was put through interrogation. Yes, he said, I did listen to the tape, but I didn't understand it. Please forgive me. I won't do it again. But in spite of his pleas of innocence, he was charged and sentenced to 40 days in prison. He was thrown into a concrete cell crowded with 20 men. Conditions were very sparse, with thin mats on the cement floors for bedding. The men were fed water and steamed bread for breakfast, only water at lunchtime, and another piece of steamed bread for their evening meal. I think I could lose weight with that regimen. Mamat soon felt weak and dizzy when he tried to stand up. The time in prison made him desire to live an even more devout Muslim life. After his release, Mamat knelt every day in his prayer mat or on his prayer mat at work. However, as time passed, he hungered for something more than the ritual of those empty prayers. Eventually, Mamat moved to a university in a large city in China where he hoped to study English. At the university, a classmate shared the story of Jesus with him. He listened warily, remembering a time when another political message not popular with the Chinese government had landed him in prison. There was a strong pull in these news stories about God's son named Jesus. Surprising even himself, Mamat agreed to go to a restaurant and meet a foreigner who was speaking with a small group of Chinese students. At that meeting, the foreigner invited Mamat to meet with him at his home once a week, to read and to discuss the Bible. Mamat was so hungry for truth that he agreed. <coughs> Pardon me. He met faithfully with the teacher for a full year, touched by the faithfulness and friendship. Finally, Mamat realized that if people had believed in Jesus for 2,000 years, and if Jesus had that much influence throughout history, then the message of the gospel must be true. After 12 months of deep soul-searching, he committed to his life to Jesus Christ. At the time, he was sharing a dormitory with five other young men, all of them from his tribe, the Uyghur tribe. The foreign Christian had given him a partial translation of the Uyghur Bible, which he kept hidden under his pillow. He would bring it out at night when nobody else was in the room. One night, one or two of his fellow students saw him reading the Bible and began to ask questions. The problem was they were very difficult questions, ones for which Mamat had no answers. As we sat drinking tea, we handed over another book to Wegar that answered several questions about faith. As Mamat leafed through his pages, his face lit up. 
This book is exactly what I needed, he told us. It is a real answer to prayer. Uyghur Christians face double persecution. They are persecuted by their Muslim families for converting. They are persecuted by their neighbors who believe conversion to another faith is a rejection of the Uyghur culture and everything it stands for. Persecution also comes from the Chinese government. Authorities are wary of the Uyghur people because of their drive for an independent homeland in northwest China. A Uyghur who becomes a Christian is immediately marked as a double traitor to the People's Republic of China. Knowing these risks, Mamak continues to share his faith with his fellow students. A few months ago, he started an English conversational group that meets in a tea shop outside the university. There they discuss the issues of faith and the meaning of life, often reading passages from the Bible. Will you remember to pray for Mamat and people just like him? And then another prayer request I have for you is another group going through tremendous persecution. These are people who have been born again in the country of Iran. There's a man in this story from this missionary by the name of Ratsam. Ratsam has a Muslim background. He became a Christian believer, and he is receiving discipleship training in Iran. He says, my wife panicked the last time the police came to our home investigating us about whether or not we were Christians, and they threatened to rape our nine-year-old daughter if we didn't stop. Can you imagine? I have been arrested several times. The secret police want to know who is in the house churches, where we meet, and all about us. I have told them nothing. So pray for Ratsam and all the other Christians in Iran who are meeting in spite of tremendous threat from the Muslim people and from that government. I read these to you not just for a prayer request, but I read it to you because we need to realize that people all over this world are going through serious trials and persecution. And yet, I don't want to minimize whatever trials you are going through. I know that many of you have gone through illness. You've gone through joblessness. Your incomes have been hurt. And so I don't minimize those. They are real. But just try to remember these lessons this morning. To ask God to give you joy in your trials. And you will be a tremendous Christian witness if you have a trial and you smile during the trial. People will see it and want to know what you have. And, you know, most people receive Christ. They catch it. They don't, they're not converted by your preaching to them. More is caught than taught, I heard one guy say. So just live your life in such a way, even in the midst of trials, that you're contagious. You know, this... This faith that we have should be contagious by the people who believe in Jesus Christ. So when you go out today, be contagious. Do something good for somebody and let God let you be a witness. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we stand and sing this clothing song, we pray that you would help us to remember what you want us to remember about this message this morning. Help us to be faithful Christians, and when trouble comes our way, help us not to chafe under it. Help us to realize that you want to teach us something and that it went through your hand first. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to be Christians who are mature, 
and who can even receive the joy that you want to give us, even when we're suffering trials. We particularly pray for our pastor, David. We ask you to heal him of his sickness once and for all. We pray that he won't have to have further surgery. We pray that you would touch his body and make him well. And we thank you, God, for the other trials he's going through with his family. We just pray that you would help him and give him faith and increase, increase his faith and increase his joy and his patience and give him wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God together. Thank you.